Today we're going to start this new series that we're calling Called. And it was the best, the best thing I could think of when looking at the, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so uh, Called is a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I've been reading the Sermon on the Mount off and on, obviously, most of my Christian life. But in the last year, I, I've been going through it a lot personally. And every time, every time that I read the Sermon on the Mount, I can tell you this. For those of you that say, oh, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount, you shouldn't, okay, because it's hard, you know. Uh, it, it's got some really hard sayings in there, like when someone hits you on one side of the cheek, turn the other one, let them hit that one. I'm not, I wasn't raised like that, okay. I, I remember specifically many times my daddy having conversations with me. I remember one specific time in a football practice that I didn't know my dad was off to the side. He had gotten there, and I didn't know he was close to the sidelines. And, and this, this old, I was a seventh grader, and this really big, like, 18-year-old eighth grader who, had, who had, should have been in college by then, it's no lie. Um, I don't know how many times that guy had failed, but he had failed often. And he was still on the junior high football team, and, and I remember he, he hit me, and then he said something to me, and my dad literally said, if I, ever let, if I ever hear you let anybody talk to you like that, I will whip you myself, all right? Uh, and, and so I was like, oh, okay, you know, uh, my dad didn't want me to be a, a coward, and, and so uh, there, there, are, there are hard sayings in here, you know, I wasn't, I, things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, do unto others as you want done to yourself, that, that's not as hard, uh, it, it, you see it in the Sermon on the Mount, but there are a lot of sayings of Jesus, teachings of Christ that are just not easy in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to deal with them. And today, we're specifically going to talk to the fact that I am called, you are called to a different path. You are called to a different or a separate path. We're called to separation. And it made me think a lot about uh, pressure. H have, you ever, have you ever felt religious pressure? Think about it. I want you to think about this. Have you ever felt pressure to conform Religiously, I have, truthfully. I, I, I remember when I first came to Christ, uh, I, I was around some, some pretty, um, I don't know how else to say it, some pretty strict Christians. And they, they were constantly saying things to me, and I didn't know any better, but I felt, I felt pressured to conform behaviorally. Right, but and the problem is, but I had some things that, that I really. I, so this is how my mind would work. You ready for this? My mind, when I first came to Christ, my mind would, would really get into these. I would be in these debates with myself: with is is it possible to love Jesus and Tom Petty? <laughs> no, I mean really. The the I, I, is it possible to carry out my Christian life and and still love sports? I began to evaluate things because I felt, have you ever felt pressure to conform? I have. Have you ever felt like you, well, I should do better. You ever had the, the do betters? I should do better. I really should do better. But the problem is in, in the, the words of the prophet Bruce Springsteen, one step up and two steps back. You ever go, go listen to that song. You ever felt that way? One step up and two steps back. Two steps up and one step back. You ever felt like maybe your Christian life looked a lot like that? 
And, and truthfully, I, I have. And, and every time you see Jesus, there's something different, especially with the Sermon on the Mount. What you see with Jesus is there isn't there is an absence of religious condemnation. And, 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 and say, well, but don't read into that. There, I didn't say there was an absence of accountability. I didn't say there was an absence of consequences. Oh, in fact, when you go, if you want to read, by the way, you can read through this Sermon on the Mount. I tested it this week. 12 minutes and 50 seconds if you just go at a normal pace. 12 minutes, 50 seconds. So I know some of you spend way more time on Facebook. See my condemnation right there? So you can, you can, you can do it. See how fast that happens? Right? Yeah. So, no, but the, the truth is, it's, it's really... It's, a, it's some difficult sayings of Christ. And, and so Jesus, Jesus didn't have all this religious pressure, but he was followed by people that did. The Pharisees were, if you don't know much about who the Pharisees were, just think of the religious snobs. They, you ever been around a religious snob? They're not fun, okay? They're not fun. And, and life was full of religious snobs. And this is the interesting thing about, and they were, they were the elite. They were like the, the degree holding, you know, they had their secret card in their wallet kind of deal. They were the people that had all the rules. In fact, the Pharisees were the people that kind of kept, kept God away from everybody else. Like he, they, he would, they would, they would kind of stand in front and say, oh, no, no, only we can go back there and meet with God. And so crowds didn't follow the Pharisees. In fact, people ran from those people. People in average everyday life, they didn't want anything to do with the Pharisees, the religious elite. And yet the Bible tells us that crowds followed Jesus. Don't you find that interesting? The Bible says that little kids came up to Jesus. Now, I don't know a lot about kids ministry. In fact, they don't want me down there very much. Okay, because I have a tendency just to want to spank everybody. Okay, and that's not a way to grow a church, and, and, and it's really not. And so I know my limitations, and so I just stay where I'm told up here. Okay, but, but, it, but truthfully, no kidding. One thing I love about kids is they have incredible radars. You notice that about them? Like they just kind of know. That, you know, I remember my, my, my granddad, you know, Cole, when he was a little boy, like he didn't really know what to think about my granddad, you know, because my granddad was a hardened veteran with a big soft heart, but it took time for him to kind of warm up. Kids just, they, they just kind of know. They just kind of have this radar. And yet radar was something that people had. They knew for whatever reason, they didn't want to be like the Pharisees. And there comes Jesus and crowds followed Jesus everywhere. But Jesus did have standards, and they were very different than that of the Pharisees, the religious elite. So let's read it today. Matthew 7, that's where we're going. Matthew chapter 7. Hey, I'm going to turn off this fan. We've got this like industrial fan up here that I don't know how to fix, but it's driving me crazy. And, uh, ooh, there we go. Yeah. Zach, you know, he's got to keep his hair straight and everything, so he's trying to stay cool. Um, Alexis has no hair, so it doesn't matter uh, what Alexis and I, it doesn't matter what we do, we're good to go. Uh, uh, Matthew 7. Now, here's what, now, uh, by the way, you're probably wondering, now, hold on a minute. I thought the Sermon on the Mount started at Matthew 5. It, it does. 
So we're not going to go through this thing just straight down the middle, okay? And there's a reason. I, I picked this because I really believe that the Sermon on the Mount comes down. You can filter all of it in a lot of ways. There's a couple of key verses, and this is one of them. And we're going to start because I think it kind of lays a foundation. So it's just two verses, Matthew 7, 13. And this is what Jesus said. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, that is incredibly simple, isn't it? In fact, that's really hard to preach on. Because really you could read it and go, oh, I, I get it. Wide gate, narrow gate. Big wide road, small road. So all week long I kept going, God, is I, am I missing something here? Because one of the things we love about the Sermon on the Mount in typical Jesus fashion, the religious elite made God complex. You ever been around people that made God complex? I have. And yet Jesus was like constantly using things like gates and roads. And he would say, oh, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like a seed. Jesus, I think, went off the cuff a lot. And he said, like the seed on the ground. Or he would, he would say the kingdom of God is like a pearl, you know, a pearl, a, a, a fine a fine piece of jewelry. He, he used common phrases. And they didn't like that at all. They didn't like that part either. So we're talking about a very simple passage. So what, what is it getting at? Well, let's start with what it's not getting at. Okay, let's start there. The narrow way was never about ethics and morality. In fact, I would go so far as to say to you the Sermon on the Mount is not about ethics and morality. But yet, in the words of uh, G. Campbell, not G. Campbell, Morgan, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that he believed the Sermon on the Mount was the most widely read and misunderstood passage in all of Christendom. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones, a theological giant. And, and yet I think what he's getting at in there is, is what I'm trying to say to you is that the, the, the narrow way here was not about ethics and it wasn't about morality. Because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things you can read is you can discover there are a lot of very ethical teachings in there. Well, you know, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two. Don't, you know, go, go a little further with your friends that are struggling. And there's all kinds of things in there that make it really simple to talk about ethics and morality. But here's, here is the truth about ethics and morality, and I really want you to hear me, because all of you have been conditioned by it on some level. And here it is. You don't, you do not need Jesus to be good. Do you understand that? Now, you've heard me say that before, I'm, but I'm going to keep saying it. You do not need Jesus to be good. I know all kinds of people right now, I could call them by name, that are honestly good people. And they're not perfect people no more than I'm, I'm not perfect. 
But you do not need Jesus to be good. You can be a good person without Christ. You can be a good person. Notice something that Jesus did not say. He doesn't talk a lot in here. He, didn't, he never says in verses 13 and 14 that only the bad people choose to go down the wide road. He didn't, in fact, he doesn't say that at all. In fact, most people, you know, there are, we all do things that are evil in the sight of the Lord, but that doesn't mean that we are all evil people. I've known some pretty rotten people, and so have you. And yes, we do some things in our lives, and we've done some things, and our sin in general, as a, a simple idea of what sin is, it is evil in the sight of the Lord. And we have parts of our, of our heart that are evil and wicked, and we have parts of our heart that are very good. Thus, we need a savior. But it's not about ethics and morality. In fact, I, I, I want to tell you there's a verse that, that, that Jesus starts out, and I, I paid a lot of attention to this because when you start out in a sermon being a preacher, the first things you say are the things that matter really a lot. Right, right out of the gate, you want something laid out. And Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with this verse. He said, happy, blessed. Blessed is, a, is a, that word, if you pare it down, is a word meaning like contented, happy, uh, joyful in heart, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is Jesus saying right there? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Notice he didn't say poor in bank account. He said poor in spirit. What does that mean? Poor in spirit means that you recognize that without Christ, you are spiritually bankrupt. That no matter how much you try or how much you work, if you're poor in spirit, you are spiritually bankrupt. And so what Jesus is saying right out of the gate is blessed are those that recognize the need for a savior. Amen. Blessed are those that recognize a need for a savior. Because guess who didn't feel like that? The scribes and the Pharisees. They felt like they were the ones that had it all together. They were the religious elite. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. You, you don't even recognize that you need a savior. I would encourage you, for those of you that are in Christ and you want to read up on the Pharisees, go through the book of Matthew and look at how many times Jesus, this is something that I think... Uh, especially preachers in today's soft economy don't often know how to deal with. Jesus picked fights a lot with Pharisees. Every time he saw them in the crowd, he would point them out. And he would say, stay away from those people over there. So all of y'all that are sitting over there, I'm just going to pick on y'all for a minute. He would say, no, 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 don't be like these people. Can, can, can you imagine me preaching a sermon and saying, hey, look, Here's what I want all of y'all to do. Stay away from the people over in this side of the room. They're all ducking over there. I mean, it's, it's incredibly bold. Jesus wasn't soft. So Jesus is saying, this is more than about ethics. It's more than about being good and doing good. I want to show you a picture of my fence. Um, this has caused me a lot of mental stress, okay? Only those of you that put up fences know why, all right? Because I did not put that fence post down. That, I inherited that fence post. And I want to meet the guy that did that. 
because it makes me mad. I've got to clean up after this fella, you know, whoever that was, 20-something years. So this, uh, when, when, when COVID first hit, we all had some time. We were trying to figure out what we are going to do. And so, so uh, you know, I, I, we needed to replace our fence. And, and so I left up the fence posts because they were in pretty good shape. But it took me, Cole and I, and Tucker, we, we took all the, fin- the, the fence down and we, and we, we left the, the upright posts in. But the very last post at, at the corner of the, our backyard is, a, you can tell, is about two inches shy. The guy just cut it too short and he, and he put it in the ground anyway. Right? At this point, if I had known he was going to do that, I would have gladly paid the $8.12 at Home Depot that you could get a proper post. Right? So, so let's go. So let me show you the wide angle, why that matters. Do you see that? Does that not drive you crazy? Okay. Look at the top left and how it slopes down to the right. I mean, the, you know, but here, here's the problem with wood, right? I can't make wood grow. I can't make wood grow. So now, this is what I've got to do. I've got to take a four by four post and I've got to cut off about two inches so that I can level out that top board so that when you look at it, because here's what's gonna happen. Some of y'all are gonna come over at some point and you're gonna come into our backyard and we're gonna grill a burger and you're gonna see that fence and you're gonna think, wow, Jason really didn't know what he was doing, okay? That's exactly what you're gonna think and I'm getting ahead of you people, all right? Because I didn't do that. You know, what's wrong with you? Get a little lazy? Right? So, so here's what I've gotta do. I've got to go and I've got to take a fence post and I've got to cut about two inches off of it. And then I'm going to sit it on top and then I'm going to put screws in it to mount it. And then I'm going to have to fill it in with wood filler and then I'm going to have to sand it. And, and it's going, after I stain it, it's going to look really good. The problem is it's really fake. It's not going to stand up under pressure. You can take a simple hammer, and if you were to hit the top two inches, it's going to go tumbling off, right? I mean, even though I'm going to mount it and it's going to be decently sturdy, I cannot make wood grow. So I've had to come up with a solution that I've got to put into play because it was just a little too short. It won't hold up under pressure. Now you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? I think it has everything to do with the Sermon on the Mount. Because to be poor in spirit realizes that my goodness only goes so far. It's always a little bit short. And a little bit short won't get you to heaven. A little bit short is good intentions. Whoever planted that post wasn't a bad person, not at all. But it just isn't good enough. It, it's, it's enough to hold the fence up, but it's not the way it should be. You see, the truth is we're all a little bit short, and a little bit short is a whole lot short to God. So what do we do with that? It's, the Sermon on the Mount is not about ethics, but it is about choosing. That's what it's about. The Sermon on the Mount is not about ethics. It is about choosing. Jesus said something about the Pharisees. In fact, there are a lot of really good theologians, way better than me, that believe the Sermon on the Mount, the entire Sermon on the Mount, hinges on this one verse. And it's in chapter 5. Look at what Jesus said. 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses, that's a tough word, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness now, now, who did I just tell you the, the scribes and the Pharisees were? They were the religious elite. They were the ones that had it all together. I mean, when you looked at them, man, they had the, the phylacteries, the scarves, the garments, the tunics. They had the regalia. They had all the coats of arms. They, they looked the part. I mean, they looked like the kind of people that would be close to God. They walked that way. They talked that way. They, they moved through life and they wanted to be seen. And so when Jesus, so, so think about it. They were the religious elite of society. And so along, there's a lot of people that go, oh, I could never be like them. I mean, they're like really religiously good people. Now they're complete jerks. Nobody wants to be around them. They're condescending, they're arrogant, but they can quote Deuteronomy like they got it memorized. I mean, when, when, when we start talking about the covenant, oh, they just go on forever about Abraham and I do good to spell his name. So there are those kind of people that know how to make you feel. You ever been around people that really were really good at making you feel like they were in a circle and you were just never gonna get invited there? You ever been around those kind of people? That they were in a club and they were nice to you, but they were also, they, they had these subtle ways of letting you know that they were in this club. Sometimes it wasn't so subtle, that they, they were in this club and that you're a cool person and they like eating a burger with you from time to time, but they have their other burger group. And by the way, bless your heart, you're just never gonna make it over there. You ever been around people like that? That's the Pharisees. That's the scribes. That's the religious elite. And so when Jesus says, unless your righteousness goes further than those guys, you're never gonna make it. Now, can you imagine somebody that doesn't know a lot about Deuteronomy and doesn't know a lot about how covenant works and doesn't know a lot about how temple life is supposed to go down? And then they're going, well, I'm, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And Jesus is saying, no, because in fact, the very verse says they're in trouble too, doesn't it? Do you not notice that? He's saying they're in trouble too. So the narrow way is not about ethics, but the narrow way is about choosing. It is about choosing. And I want to talk to you about that for just a second. It is about choosing. Now, this entire Sermon on the Mount, and especially this, uh, I say the entire Sermon on the Mount, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, but especially this verse, it's about a compare-contrast. You ever, you ever done that? Not this way, but this way. When you're teaching your kids all the time, you're trying to say, hey, look, okay? So now that we all got smartphones, this is a parenting tip for you that have little, little kids. You can do this all the time. You can take a picture of what a clean bedroom looks like and then you can take a picture of what their bedroom looks like and say, not this way, but this way, right? Yeah, all right, so that, 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 that's a, it's a classic teaching method. And Jesus is saying, so notice what he says. It's really interesting when you pick up the language. Jesus said, let's read the verse again. I'm just gonna read it just, just for you to hear it again. 
Enter through the narrow gate, for the, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. And the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So what did Jesus just say? Two paths, wide, narrow. Two gates, wide, narrow. Two destinations, destruction or life. Two crowds, one that want the wide way and one that want the more narrow way, the tougher way. So what does that mean? If the narrow way is about choosing, well, let me tell you what is really going on right here. And I really don't want you to miss this because I believe it's the central point of the teaching here that he's giving us. And it's simply this, is that Jesus is separating the religious from the redeemed. Do, do you see that? Jesus is separating the religious from the redeemed. And there is a difference. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite, they were religious, but they weren't redeemed. They weren't redeemed. They weren't in Christ. They were in religion, but they weren't in Christ. So what does that mean to you and me? Jesus is separating the religious from the redeemed. We are called to be separate. We are. And we're called to be separate in how we structure our lives. In fact, the way I would say it this way is we, we are called to be separate in structuring our lives to honor Christ. That's what Jesus is getting at. The wide and the narrow way is about what you choose. Jesus is separating the religious from the redeemed. And so we are called to structure our lives in ways that honor God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about a narrow gate, you know, you know what I think about? These turnstiles, you've been through turnstiles, right? I should have put a picture up there for you. It's these things that you've got to walk through them and it clicks over. And I hate those things. And I especially hate them in airports. They're all over Europe in airports. And so you've got like, you know, nine days worth of baggage. I've had this happen to me. I've got like nine days worth of baggage, which I try to get into as little stuff as I can because you're walking everywhere you go. So, you know. It's funny, you can always tell the Americans who are on their first trip to Europe because they have like four suitcases until they realize that you're not gonna get an Uber that can accommodate any of that. I've literally seen Ubers decline people that I've been with because uh, no, I'm driving like a Prius here and you know, I've got 72 bags with four people. You know, because they don't realize when you go to Europe, you're carrying that stuff, buddy. You're gonna carry it around, you know, to the train station. You know, you're going, right? So, so you go to these turnstiles, you're like, oh, I can't get through all that. I can't even get my bag through that. It's, it's, it's an awful feeling. The narrow gate reminds me of that. Jesus is separating the, the religious from the redeemed. And we are called to structure our lives to be narrow gate people. But I can tell you this, I've never been through a narrow gate on a farm, or in a turnstile in an airport, I've never been through a narrow gate that allowed me to go through that gate any way I wanted. I was going to have to conform and choose. I was gonna to have to take my baggage around it 
No, got to go through it. So what's going on with the narrow gate? You see, you can't go down the path that leads to life with all the baggage you want to carry with you. You're going to have to drop some stuff. You're going to have to let go of some stuff. You're going to have to let that thing squeeze you until you get through it. And some of that stuff you're going to have to drop is God's way of making you more like him. We are called to structure our lives to honor Christ. Now, say, now why, why does this matter, Jason? Let, let me tell you why it matters a lot. Because it, it comes down a lot to, and you've seen this, and I kind of started out the sermon this way. If you grew up in church, and a lot of you didn't, but if you grew up in church at all, you understand that Christians have always had a very difficult time with this. We've had a difficult time knowing what does it mean to structure our lives to honor God. Because the truth is, we, 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 don't, we don't actually know how to do it in any other way than to just be more strict. Right? Just more strict. I told you at the beginning, you know, when I first came to Christ, I didn't grow up in church. So my mind immediately ran to things that I liked, like my music, you know? And I remember I had this, this is back in the days of cassettes. So for all of you that are in your 20s, like there was a time where you just didn't download stuff, right? And I heard a guy the other day, a band got a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he made this awesome comment. He said, you cannot get a Lifetime Achievement Award unless you've had something on an 8-track, which I thought was awesome. But I remember thinking, how does my music appetite fit through the narrow gate because there's no verse in the Bible that says that I, I can't like the Eagles or Boston or Tom Petty, just you two, keep on going, insert your favorite band. There's no verse like buried somewhere in Amos that says you, God only loves, you know, this time, no, no. So what we end up doing is we end up thinking, okay, if I can't be holy, at least I can be super weird. And, and so I can start putting restrictions. You ever grown up? So I'm getting really close to some of you and your moms right now, right? You had to wear, you could only wear certain stuff to church. Remember that? Yeah. I remember one person one time saying, uh, I heard this, this person say, I cannot believe they wore that to church. And I said, I can't believe her mother would let her wear that anywhere. I mean, anywhere. Because, you know, God's at Starbucks just as much as he is here. But it's funny because when you start entering onto this campus, all of a sudden, and listen, don't think we don't still do it because we do. All of us are guilty on this kind of stuff. Because we don't really know if, if I can't, I don't often know what it means to be righteous. So at least I can do, I can dress up and I can tighten up, right? You ever, you ever thought about how when you were little, you were told to come to church and you were supposed to enjoy it. But if you moved or if you got too happy, somebody was going to get you, right? You could be happy to a limit. And I never knew where the drawing line was, but I just knew when I hit it. Because I got hit. You know, not hit, hit. You know what I mean. Pinched. Ooh, those were awful. 
right? Some of you are, I'm, I'm just like, I'm killing you psychologically right now because you're going back. You're, you're mad at your mom or your grandmother and you don't even know why, right? So, so the, 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 the truth is, we, we know that we are to structure our lives, but we, and we want to, but then there's these cravings we have and we don't often know where they measure up and how do you filter them out? I think the difference is in the should versus the want to. Do you, do you see? I shouldn't versus, man, I, I want to structure my life. I, in, instead of thinking about all the things we shouldn't do, what about thinking in a mindset of all of the lifestyle that I actually crave more? Because see, Jesus even talks about cravings. It's painted all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Cravings. See, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had cravings to be seen by people. And so Jesus would make comments like, oh, no, no. When you fast, go into a closet where nobody can see you. See, cravings and behaviors are different things. But I want to say to you that your cravings, well, they dictate your behaviors, don't they? You ever notice that? Your cravings do dictate your behaviors. So if I'm called to be separate and, and called to separate my life, to structure it, to structure my life in a way that honors Christ, then I'm going to tell you, if you want to know where you are in lining up with pleasing God, well, first of all, you can't please him outside Christ. It is a spiritual and it's a, actually a physical impossibility. You can't please God outside of Jesus. You have to have Christ. Or just like that wooden fence post, you're always going to be short. No matter how much you do, you're always going to be coming up a little bit short. And a little bit short is going to be the whole length of the game when you stand before your God. So if you're going to structure your life, then, and if you want to be a kingdom person, then I would say to you, you need to evaluate, listen to me, you need to evaluate your cravings. What do you crave? Evaluate your cravings. Because your cravings are indicators. What did he say? For where your treasure is... There your heart will be. So Jesus said, look at your cravings. It tells you not where you're headed. It tells you where you already are. It tells you where you already are. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so tough. Because even a 10-year-old can understand that. Where are your cravings, Christian friend? Jesus separates the religious from the redeemed. And in the days going ahead, in a post-COVID world, in a world of increasing government pressure and isolation and, and persecution, in a world 
where every pastor, every pastor I've talked with since COVID came on the scene, if there's one thing we all agree on, it is that all of our churches that we personally lead, all of those churches will shrink. Churches are shrinking. Churches have been shrinking for decades in America. But the church is shrinking. And I have a sneaking suspicion that what you're going to see between now and when the trumpet blows as government isolation and persecution continues only to go up, as culture continues to put more pressure on you to conform to it in the broad way versus the narrow way of Christ, as the more that begins to happen and the more you're called to go through the narrow gate, you're going to notice a separation from the religious versus the redeemed. You're going to see it. And we are called to be separate. We are called to be separate. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.